Tommy, and you're listening to More Than a Game. This week, Simeone's cojones strike a blow for Juve's Champions League aspirations, mid-table madness as the deck continues to shuffle in the Premier League, while the Melbourne derby fails to excite fans nearly as much as the wooden spoon playoff between Brisbane and Central Coast. Colby and Jesse join me this week in the Ligon Street studios. Now, for the listeners at home, the three of us all play in the same Sunday league team. Um, we had our first pre-season friendly yesterday. How are the leaks today, boys? Uh, will we see any fatigue towards the end of today's pod? Yeah, I've been on the roller uh, ever <laughs> since, actually, Tommy. So um, you, yeah. You're on a roll, did you say? <laughs> roll man call as well. So <laughs> oh, yeah, under an injury cloud already, so it doesn't bode well. Yeah, Tommy, a lot of stretching last night, mate. It had, it had the ice on after the game. It was a whole thing. Jeez, the ice bath, did you say? <laughs> yeah, got in the wheelie bin full of ice, mate. <laughs> That's proper A-League right there, isn't it? <laughs> All right, uh, hopefully, yeah, there won't be any fatigue today, boys, but uh, we'll roll off into moment of the week. What was yours, um, Jesse? Uh, mine had to be the Sane goal versus Schalke. Um, bit of whip and dip on, on that one, and um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard to go past that as far as uh, in all, all competitions um, as a goal of the week. Um, your thoughts on it, boys? Unsavable. Leroy Sane, Mr. Whippy, ice cold. <laughs> cool whip. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sensational. What about yourself, Colby? Uh, yeah, well, aside from uh, Simeone's cojones, which we'll talk about later, um, my moment of the week was actually um, uh, the NPL or NPL Vic um, announcing during the week um, that they're going to be broadcasting pretty much the entire of the uh, NPL Vic plus two NPL games a week on its YouTube and Facebook channels in 2019. So this season, starting now. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think we're, yeah. we've just finished the first round. And yeah. I think we're halfway through the second round. Is that right? Uh, yes, I think yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, this was one of the biggest, and has, has always been one of my biggest gripes with, you know, trying to follow football in Australia, Australian football, I mean, um, you know, the, the sort of lack of um, availability of having games on free-to-air TV. So Just is, access, isn't yeah. it? It's a huge problem. Uh, I mean, it's surprisingly simple. We talked about it last week when we talked about, because the, the other component of that is having um, games that are promoted and affordable, um, which which the Knicks did um, in Eden Park last week. Um but, um, yeah, the, the, the biggest component is just having it available. Um, and so I think this is a real game changer. And, um, yeah, people uh, should get a get onto Football Victoria's um, Facebook page or YouTube channel and, and get around the NPL this season. We, we used to have a, uh, a tacker kit to footy pack um, with our rugby team locally. <laughs> and uh, the, the pack in, included a, um, a small pack of really salted Bluebirds chips, um, a cheeseburger voucher and uh, a Canterbury flag. Um, and I can tell you... Uh, there were a lot of Take a Kid for the packs purchased that season, and um, <laughs> I'd really like to see that sort of you know brought across all leagues if possible. There you go, get around it, Tommy. What about you? Um, my moment of the week this week was a little bit of shithousery that came out this week. Um, I'm not sure if it was, if it was intentional or not, though. Um, it involved the Bournemouth uh, game where they hosted Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, 
in uh, their mid-table mid mid table matchup overnight. And so uh, you've got scores are locked, uh, one all, and and um, Bournemouth have just missed a penalty as well. Scores are really tight. Both teams are really just going for it. It's end to end, into injury time. Neck Bennett, the sprinklers come on, and I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but. If I was the, the Bournemouth ground staff, I'd be saying, yeah, oh, yeah, Wolves, Wolves were just starting to get on top. So, yeah, just just wanted to keep things a little bit interesting. And look, at there, there were a few sort of hot tempers at that time. And, yeah, they were definitely cooled off by the sprinklers and that enforced break. Didn't that happen in, like, something similar in uh, a European game uh, earlier this year where they threw they they throw balls onto the pitch when um, one of the teams was about to take a free kick in injury time and it stopped the game or and the goal went in, the free kick went in or something like that? Do you, do you remember For that? some reason... It, that one sticks in my mind for like moments me. of home ground shithousery to prevent a team from an away team from winning. I don't know if I've just said his na- it's because I just said his name or not, but it reminds me of Simeone. I don't know why I'm thinking of him. Um, or Conte, I don't know. Let us know, if you know, because uh, we, we clearly don't, but that's elite <laughs> levels of elite levels of crowd shithousery and, you know, uh, long may it continue. It, it definitely must have contributed to uh, Fraser um, slipping over later on yeah, uh, yeah, near exactly. the box. <laughs> um, but look, uh, yeah, there's a fine line, I guess, there between moment of the week and own goal. But in terms of own goal, uh, what was yours this week, Colby? I have so many own goals to choose from this oh, week. Please, please pick um, one. But I'm going to go, I'm going <laughs> to pick one. Um, and uh, yeah, we were all discussing it this week. It was a pretty, pretty big talking point around soccer Twitter and around our group chat as well. It was... Um, Fox Sports trying to get out of paying the expansion bump um, to the league over Western United. Um, So, yeah, uh, Fox had agreed um, that it would give a bump in TV money um, to the A-League if the new expansion teams were from sort of Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane and are now apparently trying to back out of it because of the the sort of late um, marketing shift that we're seeing around um, Western United as they're now called sort of looking to dissociate themselves with Melbourne a little bit. I mean, obviously, I think that argument's unlikely to get up, but it just shows that even Fox, who have already invested quite significantly significantly in the game, have less and less of an appetite to sort of invest in something that they're not really seeing a return on. Um, but also, I think the own goal, really, for me, is the mismanagement by FFA for so long by letting the league get to this point. The lack of advertising, the sort of dithering and lack of transparency when it came to pulling the trigger on expansion in the first place. It's no wonder guys like Fox, who have been one of the league's biggest backers, are sort of, you know, not rushing to put their hands in their pockets any further. So I think really the own goal here has got to go to the FFA still. I mean, it's, it's, it's they're pretty, a pretty easy punching bag, but guys, come on. It's not been a good, I guess, couple of weeks for the FFA between like sort of the Matildas coaching saga and a couple of years. Yeah, true. Particularly bad week, a uh, couple of weeks though. And then uh, recently, I guess as well, there was also that that stuff that came out about uh, the uh, I think it was Football New South Wales did like a um, uh, an audit of like the the ground conditions and uh, and the ground facilities in particular. And uh, and by coincidence, in the last uh, six months, uh, FFV have also uh, now are using some data. Uh, sorry, no, it is Football New South Wales. They're using a whole bunch of data to say that, oh, well, yeah, we should be getting much better facilities and have started lobbying the state government. And it, it begs the question, what have they been doing all along? And I guess in a roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is that um, football governance in Australia just leaves so much to be desired. And we have so, so many ground... Um, uh, people at the ground grassroots level, like working tire- tirelessly, but at at the highest level, we're we're lacking competence in a, in a lot of different areas, and it's really struggling. It's really um, 
it's really difficult to watch that at times, isn't it? Yeah, I know. When um, whenever we've got Damo on the podcast, he'll, he's, he he'll never misses an opportunity to bang on about um, an independent A league, and but it's it's times like this that really make me think that maybe an independent competition um, shouldn't be that far away when you've got this this kind of mismanagement that even your sort of biggest backers are now not really wanting to sort of invest in the product. It's scary days because the next step is Fox. Or maybe not the next step, but two or three steps away is Fox saying, sorry, guys, we just can't keep pouring money into what is not really delivering for us as a product. Yeah, but at the end of the day, Fox could be dying a slow death anyway. Um, as uh, Sky Sports, the equivalent of New Zealand, is, is, um, has been actually matched by the equivalent of Optus for pretty much all the EPO and everything. So that basically just leaves All Blacks games and uh, our uh, mm-hmm. televised coverage uh, with a traditional uh, broadcaster is actually going downhill on the slide. So Fox could be heading that way anyway. That, that'd be interesting. And I guess it's it's going to be interesting. It's, it's, it's been fantastic seeing Fox and Optus like fighting it out for some of these sports products. Good to have some competition. It's good. Yeah, exactly. Although it, a lot of people complain that, well, now they have to either get two streaming services or pay TVs, essentially. But, I mean, the market's been incredibly fragmented in the last probably three to four years with Netflix and stuff coming on. To, to, to all the little listeners out there, um, if you want to do a, a top 100 more than the game podcast day, um, you're, you could basically have a drinking game, which is uh, how many own goals are FFA related. <laughs> and I assure you, you will be drunk by the end of the day. You'll be drunk by probably a quarter of the way through. Yeah, definitely, say. definitely. <laughs> All right, um, Jesse, what about you? What was your own goal this week? Uh, I've got a couple of plenty to choose from, as Colby mentioned. Um, I'd have to say um, the amount of time the VAR took to take, make a decision in the uh, Schalke um, City game. Um, I think it was between five to six minutes to, to, to make a decision on that penalty um, with a handball shout. And uh, the, the ref took his time, which, I mean, is understandable that he took his time, but my word, as a spectacle, it suffered. Um, but I'd have to say, just jumping away from that, my other end goal, just to sort of really uh, add a bit of spice to the podcast today, uh, Tommy would probably be the hand of God from Chicharito. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost one of my moments of the week. <laughs> I think... Um, doesn't yeah. matter how they go in. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and, it, and I think I think I'd just like to call that out because it was only a matter of a couple of weeks ago that um, Liverpool was taking a bit of a bashing from the West Ham fans for uh, <laughs> offside uh, decisions and, and the like. So um, just shows the officials, um, you know, are pretty consistent in being inconsistent. Exactly. What it does show is that these things come out and swings and roundabouts, doesn't it? And yeah, you, you're not going to always get the the rub of the green sometimes with the referees, but well, that's some days we're going to get it. That's related to VAR, isn't it? Like that's that's that a lot of people, um, particularly. Uh, Fulham fans will be calling out for the, you know, citing that as an example for the yeah. VAR. And I mean, yeah, that changed the match. So fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Um, my own goal this week is um, it was a little bit early in the week, and so a lot of listeners might already have heard about this one. But we're we're going to Italy for this own goal this week, uh, all the way not from Serie A or Bear, but to Serie C. So we're we're Ke. almost <laughs> yeah, <Ke. laughs> um, and this is a match between Pro Piacenza and Cuneo. Um, Andy, I'm sure you'll be letting me know if my pronunciation was not spot on there. Um, in, a, but, in an English accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> um, but so you've got um, uh, Cuneo who are who are struggling to essentially field a team at the moment, and. Um, 
uh, due to a, a wages dispute uh, for unpaid wages. And essentially their whole squad walked out on this one, which meant that they had to play um, and, and they haven't been able to field a team for the last uh, four matches. And so if they had have not played a fifth as well, it would have meant that they essentially would have been kicked out of the league. So they were forced to field a ramshackle team of uh, the team's physio and six teenagers. Um, and safe to say they got absolutely towed. Um, it was... Um, they would, one player uh, inappropriately named Eduardo Defendi uh, had scored five in the first uh, five, uh, sorry, 25 minutes. Um, and then you had Hisham uh, Canis, who had scored six, which broke a Serie Che record. Defendi uh, is one of my favourite European football player names, by the way. He always comes up on uh, on FIFA career mode in the in the uh, Italy search. Right. Uh, my other favourite one When you're is, searching for, like, defenders or yeah, something, when you don't type in defender. When in you're full. searching for, yeah, your sort of journeyman <laughs> players, uh, you could get on the cheap. And my other favourite one is Kevin Lasagna. Kevin Lasagna. It's a Fantastic. really, really great name, but sorry, I, tasty, I, I digress. Tasty. <laughs> the, the, yeah, there was definitely a white sauce joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to go there. Wow. As you were, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> so that one ended up finishing up 20 nil to pro uh, Piacenza. And uh, yeah, that's my own goal for this week. Mate, this is like, uh, hearing this just reminds me of what it's like for all of those out there who have to be the sort of administrator or manager of a social uh, sport team. And uh, I've, I've been like that at, in our Monday night uh, five-a-side team many a times when a couple of the boys pull up sore after the weekend and you've just got to get on the phone and try and get some ring-ins around to you, to the team just so, just so you can field a team. Uh, so, yeah, my heart then, goes out to them. And then they rock up and get spanked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the worst part. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, guys, I, I said that we were all right, but, yeah, I didn't expect <laughs> that we were going to be playing. Guys that have been playing Champions League five years ago. Yeah. Pretty confusing for team morale if Kevin Lasagna turns up as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Defendi's playing up front. Like, I mean, geez, like, that's just confusing. Um, all right, next, on to the EPL. Rose sending a couple of yards, but finding Harry Kane. Can't find it. Kane for his touch. He has! Well, it's a controversy about both goals, but no doubt about the finish. Harry Kane, on his first start after injury, is back up and running. We enter the closing minutes here. We need to find a solution to uh, Morton, Stubborn, Burnley. Here's Goodmanson. Didn't catch it right. But Ashley Barnes did. Oh, Ashley Barnes did. Close range. Beautiful for Burnley. But deep damage for Tottenham. Alrighty, uh, into the EPL now. So uh, Harry Kane returned for, for Tottenham overnight um, against Burnley and also won fourth, also got a rare start for uh, for Spurs. Um, now, this was... I was discussing with a mate of mine that this was a potential banana skin for, for Spurs and, well, didn't it turn out to be a bit that way? Um, you had Chris Wood who opened the scoring, uh, the Kiwi, on the 56th minute uh, from a corner. Um, which the best part about that goal was the commentator's uh, input, which was he just wanted it more, which just made me think of you, Colby. Yeah. And, and you got to want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's which I thought that was amazing. And hard, it was a good goal. Hard-working hard Kiwi. Yeah. And <laughs> look, Chris Wood, I think he's on fire at the moment. I, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think he's, uh, I think he scored like 79 or something like that. I'm not sure if it's... Th- it might be 79 between him and Ashley Barnes. 
sounds more like it. Both of them are actually in a purple patch. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it's it's coincided a little bit with Heaton coming back, but at the same time, they're scoring goals at the other end as well as keeping them out. So. They've got eight on the bounce, uh, or eight uh, without loss yeah, uh, since Heaton's come back. So Coincidence? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but afterwards, uh, so Harry Kane uh, then equalised after... Uh, Burnley considered a throw-in, lost their concentration. Danny Rose has taken a, a, a nicely taken uh, quick throw-in. Harry Kane has essentially just run uh, run through with the ball and beaten Heaton with a uh, with a, a very nice uh, finish into the far post. Which that at that point it was kind of like, oh wow, I, I think Spurs are going to run away with this now. But um, alas, it wasn't to be. And and that man um, Ashley Barnes or. I I even wondered if Ashley Barnes and Burnley are becoming so synonymous that they should be called Barnsley soon. Or wow. obviously, already surely, taken. Surely, so. be a bit of copyright issues there. <laughs> um, but as it turned out, um, Ashley Barnes turned uh, into uh, the hero for for Burnley, uh, finishing off a, a Goodmanson cross come shot, um, and then uh, alas, um, it wasn't to be for uh, for Spurs though. They they couldn't get a, a way back into the game. Um, but of course, it's it's just Spurs, isn't it? It's just and Spurs. Two one. Uh, it's a Burnley. Um, boys, did you have any other thoughts on this one? Well, Spurs. Uh, you know, everyone was everyone was talking them up the past couple of weeks as the sort of title dark horse, and then here you go. They've they've dropped points. Uh, yeah, they've. Where are they now? Where, where, where I, are they going to be? I often think um, with the length of the seasons now and the amount of comp- uh, competitions these guys are playing in. Um, I remember the first season quite distinctly with Klopp and, and Liverpool where we, we just got completely out of gas by about January or February. And that's always sort of stayed with me when I think of it, uh, these these teams when they do have injury crisis. Um, Spurs, for me, like they've done so well in the last four or five weeks to sort of prove us all wrong and keep winning. Um, but I've just kind of been thinking, how long can they do it? You know, like they've already kind of exceeded that period of time where you thought they were going to fall away. I think we all thought they were going to fall away about four or five weeks ago and they've just kept going. But for me, I mean, we are getting to the point where they've still got two and a half months to go in the Premier League. And, yeah, and I mean, and they had an opportunity to stay within two points of City and uh, Liverpool, which would loss. have been great for them. Big loss but, for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's huge because um, now, they're, now they're five points off. and um, Yeah, and that, that, that's a lot. Um, interesting. Inter- interestingly, as well, um, it also keeps up Spurs' run of not having actually drawn a game this season. And you would think that um, a point here probably would have been a pretty decent result given Burnley's run of form. But um, do you think that is just a statistical sort of coincidence or anomaly, or do you think there's anything there about them not being able to con- convert sort of close losses into draws and draws? Well, yeah, close losses into draws because they have lost. Um, they've lost seven games now this season, which is quite high. Um, you think there's anything in that? I hate draws, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Um, moving along, though, um, that does leave Spurs uh, five points uh, behind City, who are currently top, but obviously Liverpool play um, Man United this week, and so uh, Liverpool can still go top, which would leave, uh, assuming, well, yeah, assuming they do, that would put Spurs eight points behind top. Do you think they're done now, boys? How to see Spurs coming back? I guess just based on what I was saying before with the the fatigue, I think that's their best. That's like their worst enemy from this point on. I think they just. I just don't know if they've got the energy to run all the way through. So, I actually wondered that uh, Harry Kane missing six weeks could have turned into uh, such a really positive thing for him because he hasn't had a break in so long, 
that just um, having six weeks off, yeah, he would have been managing his injury and he would have been hungry to come back. But having six weeks off, just refresh the mind, refresh the body in some ways as well. Um, I actually think that that could turn out to be a positive thing for him. And I think he's going to come back really strong in the sort of the run home uh, towards the end of the season. But I guess it just depends whether or not they can sort of keep things out at the other end as well, though. Yeah, well, it's just tough for Spurs, isn't it? Um, and given this season, given the consistency that both Liverpool and City have shown that five points is so massive. And, yeah. and uh, we have seen this from Spurs in, in past seasons where they, they have an opportunity to grab the, the, the title race and, and even the title in past seasons by the scruff of the neck and then they just get Spursy. Uh, I hate Spurs. to use that cliche, but uh, you know the, the biggest example to me was the 2015-16 the season where they, they had an opportunity, everyone else stuffed up and... Um, yeah, Leicester were, were uh, you know, put an amazing season together, but Spurs had the opportunity at various points to do them. So. It, it the, says a lot that they came third in a two-horse race, doesn't it? Yeah. The Tardenham Lily Wade soccer chickens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got a couple of huge fans right here at the American Soccer Fan on, on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Although I don't know if I'd be able to put two sentences together. I think I'd just be laughing and giggling at him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, moving along though. Um, as uh, as per my moment of the week, Bournemouth hosted Wolves. Um, in I guess Bournemouth have dropped off a little bit in the recent uh, in recent months, but they were in contention for the Everton Cup in seventh spot. Uh, but Wolves are definitely right up there, still in contention for that one. Um, you had Bournemouth uh, awarded an early penalty, um, which probably the weirdest thing about this was not necessarily the um, uh, the foul. Uh, I thought it was. It was somewhat of a fifty-fifty call on the on the pen due to the fact that Jordan Ibs sort of thrown his hands in the air a little bit, a little bit Salah-esque, and that's not to troll you guys. It's there was a I think it was on uh, Premier League today about how the referee referees look for whenever the, uh, a player's hands go above their head that that's a sign that a player dives or is in he's diving or is trying to make the foul look worse than what it otherwise might be, um, and there was a, a bit of a case for that here. Um, nonetheless, though, the, the potential own goal for me was actually the camera, camera work for this one. The camera work for this game seemed to be far too zoomed in. For I'd agree. Most. I noticed that as well. How, yeah. And it was really weird, wasn't it? Like, mm. it was like something doesn't look right about this match, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it for a while. And then I was like, you just wanted the to, camera zoomed in too much. You like, just wanted to click the start button, you know, go back to settings, <laughs> yeah. and just take it off broadcast at 10 zoom, you know? That's was, where it was. It was bizarre. Did you, did you see this at all, Colby? Uh, no, I can't oh, say right, that okay. I noticed. <laughs> no. But anyway, yeah, so it was it was something that it seemed to be throughout the, not just that sort of moment in time either. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on from camera work, but um, something that I picked up anyway. <laughs> a new segment, camera work corner. Yeah. <laughs> this is camera work corner. We don't have a Chelsea corner this week. We've got to, we've got to talk about something, something niche. <laughs> Josh King ended up converting the penalty after Jordan I was fouled. And um, not long after, though, you had, uh, I think it was Chris Meppham, uh, who... Uh, all of the Wolves players were blowing up that this was a handball, and for me, it, it was a handball. The commentator said, "Yeah, this is definitely a handball, clear as day in the in the replay." And I don't know about you guys, I saw the replay; it looked like a handball to me. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 yeah, he moved it in the direction, and he stopped it. All right, so we all agree it should have been a pen, and yeah. I guess that would have made it uh, one all really early on. But um, I guess throughout that sort of first half, there was one thing I noticed, and it was Josh King picking up the ball in wide areas, sort of deep within his own half, and just like stretching his legs, striding out and 
breaking free of, I guess, his own half to, to free up a little bit of pressure on that Bournemouth defence. And it was really effective for them. We've seen, I guess, um, maybe in previous years, it might have been the likes of a big target man who people sort of lump the ball to, and that's a way to sort of relieve pressure against the defence or use an out ball in inverted commas. But I guess we're starting to see a little bit more of some, some players might just dribble for... 20, 30 metres almost unopposed until they can sort of relieve that pressure. And I guess we're seeing less of a, an out ball and sometimes more of an out dribble in some ways. Um, but that was really effective for Josh King and for Bournemouth. Um, uh, early in the second half, you did say Wolves as well uh, were really threatening. And then um, you had uh, Jefferson Lerma, the Colombian um, has yellow thrown, card magnet. Oh yeah, he's um he's now picked up I think ten yellow cards, which means he doesn't miss just one; he misses two, two games, which is uh, yeah pretty huge because I think he's played just about every Bournemouth game this season when he's been available. Probably lucky not to get a rid of that. And that was going to be my next point was that yeah he's thrown in the big elbow sort of Andy Carroll style uh, into Joao Mourinho's mouth. And um, the the home crowd were actually booing Machino because he was on the ground, sort of trying to make out that he'd made a meal of it. But he had like some cotton wool in his mouth and was uh, and and like to soak up the blood. So it was quite quite obviously he'd been fouled. And for me, like Andy Carroll's been sent off for for that kind of thing, straight red. And I actually think Jefferson Lerman was pretty lucky to stay mm. on the pitch for that. Agreed. Cole, would you see that one or didn't yeah, see that one either? I, I, I don't I don't think uh, Lerma should um, be on the pitch. As often as he is, yeah, right. You think some of those yellows should have been reds? More yeah, often. he's he's quite an aggressive player. Mm. Um, all right, so I, I think we could almost agree that that should have been a straight red for Lerma, but um, uh, he needs, then, he'll never Lerma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I like that. Um, you had Adam Smith, the returning Adam Smith, uh, has then taken out Mac Doherty in the, the 82nd minute in a pretty poor challenge. Um, and then uh, Raul Jimenez uh, struck home the resulting penalty to equalise, make one all. Great for the um, fantasy team. Great yeah. for the fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, it was only about 60 seconds later when Ivan Cavallero uh, took down Ryan Fraser um, and Bournemouth were awarded um, a penalty. However, Josh King has missed. The normally reliable Josh King um, has missed, and, and it stayed one all. Now, um, you say that was a royal fuck up. I'd, I would. Hey. Um, another another really key point there, um, uh, Tommy. That is uh, just going back to my bias towards uh, sporting um, Lisbon. Ex, there's a few ex goalkeeper. Um, Rui Patricio. Uh, oh, that's great pronunciation. He. Um, he made a big save. Um, I don't know if it was before the uh, the award of the Josh King penalty or before, but he made a big save one on one, which you know if you look at the final result was a huge save in the end. Yeah, like who uh, Patricio? There's lots of people that before the season started were saying, "Why is he at Wolves? Like how how have they managed that?" And like we've sort of I think we've talked previously about how that's happened, but he is he has been crucial to their success no, no. this season. Yeah, that's basically the answer, isn't it? Nuno just got got all these uh, Portuguese boys together, and um, <laughs> here they are. And Uncle Jorge as well. He's helped as well. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, as I was saying earlier in my own goal, we had um, uh, the match was quite end to end towards the death, and and then uh, then the sprinklers have come on, and it's ended up finishing one all. But I think, in in fairness, it was. I mean, there was a couple of obviously there was the Josh King's uh, second penalty that he missed, and then. Um, the, the potential missed handball for Wolves, but I think one all was probably a pretty fair result in the end for this one. But 
for me, I know we were talking about this off air um, prior to the pod starting, guys. That you got well, Colby. At least you were saying that the um, the Spurs game was the the game of the round. But for me, I thought this was really exciting to watch. Phrase, I really enjoyed it. Phrases uh, the decision, the, the 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 effect, the um, decision the um, ref made with phrases um, with that penalty, which potentially you know is outside right the, on outside the line, the box. wasn't it? Um, I actually uh, yelled out. Um, uh, you appreciate this, Colby, uh, when. Josh King missed the penalty. I yelled out justice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I really hate seeing these games decided by such innocuous um, moments. And, you know, for me, 1-1 was probably a more accurate result. If it had been a 2-1 win, I don't think they really deserved it. Um, interesting. So that uh, that uh, with Watford winning, that means that Wolves drop down to eighth, uh, level on points with Watford, though, um, both on 40 points. Uh, who do you think is going to win the um, uh, the Everton Cup between those two? Do that's actually think... that's actually one of my talking points for the uh, oh, for the Watford, Watford game. game. Yeah, <laughs> I've jumped I've jumped the gun there. Well, let's let's deal with it now because Watford um, in their in their game, Carter. yeah, they they moved up to seventh place, and so there's been movement uh, in the Everton Cup sweepstakes. I would say, um, you, you and even crucially call... now, a head on goal difference. You could even call it a dealer feud. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Watford, it seems, are sort of trending upwards and, and Wolves are having a bit of a, a stutter. So, uh, for me, I still think Wolves um, have the quality to, to get it. But, um, yeah, Watford are in a, a little patch of form. Uh, what do you boys think? Seventh place? I personally think Wolves are better defensively than Watford, although they're both they're both kind of similar in the sense that... Watford have kept, like, four clean sheets in a row or something. Yeah. They're doing quite well, except for this game. They, they almost had their, their sort of club record in the Premier League era oh, really? of clean sheets, uh, were it not for that big Sol Bamba uh, goal-mouth scramble late <laughs> in the game, um, which, which we'll come on to. But, um, yeah, they, they've been quite handy defensively, uh, Watford, for all their traditional frailties. And it's sort of... They're tracking sort of a similar narrative, really, aren't they, in the sense that, like, they're both, they're both defensively pretty solid... Other Best than of the rest, yeah, yeah, kind of, and there's a real buzz around the Hornets at this point, isn't there? <laughs> oh wow, that's good. I like that. <laughs> and Tommy, then you've got your very own uh, West Ham just sneaking up there into ninth. Yeah, and look, West Ham have got a good run of fixtures now, sort of withholding City uh, in the next one. But after that, I think all of their their uh, next half dozen games are all in the bottom half of the table, if not sort of around the relegation zone. So, so we can all agree that the Everton Cup's not going to Everton. It doesn't look likely. <laughs> no, it doesn't, unless uh, Marco Silva uh, leaves, but I'll discuss that later, I think. Yeah. Between, <laughs> between Watford and Wolves, I would say. Um, should we, uh, should Fair, we I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> um, amazing performance by Watford, by the way. Great great win for them. But that does that is a, a nice little segue there into the, the West Ham-Fulham game. Um, so West Ham hosted uh, Fulham, and frankly, West Ham were terrible for the first 10 minutes. They should have been down 2-0, but luckily they were only down 1-0. After Ryan Babel, um, within 40 seconds of the game starting, uh, was in one-on-one, uh, I think it was Diop or Zabaleta, I can't remember exactly, um, uh, misplaced pass. Zabaleta. Zabaleta. And he, um, he's, had his, he's got his hand on the, the right trigger. He's got the finesse shot lined up. And what, <laughs> and what you've got is a bit of buffering on the internet connection. And um, in that time he buffers, he, he flusses his shot. Um, we've all been through it. And um, just online mode, it's it's really it'll get you. It'll get you. So um, Babbles had a bit of a bit of an issue with his internet connection there. 
he left the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and look, it was probably about right. Fulham, after they went up 1-0, um, in a, I think it was about the fifth or sixth minute, they pretty much did leave the game. Uh, Fulham, they were, I thought they were outstanding for the first 10 minutes and West Ham really struggled to get into the game. But um, it, when uh, West Ham equalised after that, Fulham just completely dropped off and lost all of their intensity. And in some ways, I think they lost their heads and... Um, you had uh, a couple of other goals there. You had uh, Chicharito, Antonio uh, and Diop all got goals. Um, and really, besides that first 10 minutes, Fulham were pretty ordinary, I thought. And uh, Pellegrini came out afterwards in the in the press room and said that sort of besides the first 10 minutes, it was a complete performance, which, like, you sort of got... I got heart palpitations from the first 10 minutes that, oh, yeah, here's another team that's going to come off a... Uh, it was a losing streak and is then going to beat us. Did he also mention that it was probably the perfect anatomy hand trick? Hat trick? You uh, <laughs> fought the head and the hand? I've <laughs> uh, got, a, got a little uh, stat here, boys, about uh, Chicharito uh, and a little bit more than the game trivia for you. Uh, so Chicharito's just brought up 50 goals, uh, all exclusively in the box. So uh, the ultimate poacher. There's only one player in Premier League Ooh. history that has more... Uh, from inside the box exclusively. It's got to be Van Nistelrooy. Or... Wrong. Um, or... Um, oh. um, Andy Cole? No. Um, Wrong. Berbatov. Wrong. Shearer. Wrong again. Oh. Wow. Hang on. One more guess each. Uh, Rooney? Right, inside the box. Inside yeah, the box. <laughs> Owen? Timmy Cahill. Ah, oh, no way. 56. Stat. That's outrageous. I'm still amazed that Tim Cahill scored more goals in the Premier League than Chicharito. There you go. Yeah, that just that proves, is good. Yeah, proves uh, what, what a legend he was uh, at Everton. Here, here, and yeah. So speaking of, speaking of legends, you also had uh, Manuel Lanzini came back this what? week from injury. <laughs> Wash your mouth out. And, uh, <laughs> hey, look, Messi said that he was one of his favourite footballers. So look, if Messi can say that, then because Messi knew that as long as Lanzini was there, Messi was never going to be challenged for his <laughs> spot. <laughs> Yeah, fair. Look, are you, look, are you just spicy about um, the fact that Lanzini rejected Liverpool a couple of years ago? Or look at us now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but look, at regardless of who you support, um, no one ever likes seeing a player um, uh, injured for a long, long period of time. And it was great to see Lanzini come back from from that injury. How did he look? Um, he looked actually all right. He was only on the pitch for about 15 minutes, but um, it also did coincide with Arnautovic coming off the bench as well. And look, their their interplay is really, really tidy. Um, they're two really technical players, very mobile as well, and they their combination play is really nice. So it's going to be really interesting in the next probably couple of weeks seeing how Felipe Anderson sort of fits into that dynamic as well because you, you see when there's a combination and it just works and people have a great chemistry like you have to play them together, but Felipe Anderson has been West Ham's best player this season, so um, we'll it's going to be confusing to see how that sort of all. I've got, out. A, got a comment on the uh, Newcastle game, uh, which I'll mention shortly. Um, yeah, another example of a combination brewing. Watch the space. <laughs> Uh, just before we do move on, though, Tommy, um, down the other end of the spectrum of West Ham players, Pablo Zabaleta, obviously we mentioned he put that terrible back pass in. He got hooked at half-time. Uh, is he cooked? West, do West, are West Ham going to ha- sort of have to replace him? He, he looks like he's a bit of a creaking um, right back for them. So he's only got he's only on a two-year deal, so his, his contract will expire at the end of this season. He's actually probably been... I see him going somewhere on a free, to be honest. I see he, him just letting him go. I think it... Depends less on Zabaleta, and I think it more depends on Ryan Fredericks. Mm. 
Ryan Fredericks, obviously, he, missed, he, he started the season, I think, against Liverpool, and he also got hooked at halftime because, frankly, he was not in the game. Coming up from the championship the previous year, um, I think Zabaleta's future and whether or not they try to convince him to stay will depend on whether or not Fredericks can step up to the Premier League. Um, he's had a, he's put in a couple of decent performances in the last couple of weeks, um, but I guess a, a couple of performances does not make a season either. So um, I think Zabaleta has been one of our most consistent players in the last two years out of not a hell of a lot of consistency mm. anywhere else. Um, but look, he, he's also a leader and, and an experienced pro that knows what's required to be the best in the Premier League and, and to win uh, win the Premier League. And that sort of experience is never a bad thing. And I'd argue he's probably a, a more a more positive presence than someone like Patrice Ebra. So I, I would I would much prefer I would actually like it if he hung around. Um, but I can so, see his role so, being diminished. I guess. In, so in would next, Ryan Babel, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we will we'll move on though now. Um, that per, uh, performance, that result leaves West Ham in ninth um, on 36 points. Um, it also leaves Fulham uh, second last and eight points from safety. Boys, can you see Fulham coming back? No, nah. nah, I think they're gone. They're done. Yep. Uh, fair enough. All right, uh, on to Wales now. You had um, Carter City hosting Watford um, in a game where there was... Uh, plenty of buzz. Sorry, I got halfway through that and then went, oh, Jesse's already said that. Uh, well, we, 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 yeah, we, we didn't sort of go into depth about it, but I mean, I guess the scoreline sort of speaks for itself. I mean, it was just the De La Feo show, wasn't it? Yeah, there's yeah. a real sort of hive mentality around them. This one wasn't there. Dominant, <laughs> dominant performance uh, over Cardiff in South Wales. De La Feo obviously um, grabbed his hat-trick and an assist and he became the first Watford player to score a hattie in the Premier League era and the first Spaniard to have a hand in four Premier League goals in one game since Santi Cazola in wow. May 2013 against Wigan. That was not someone who I would have expected would have been... Um, were they all assists? One goal and three assists? Oh, yeah. I think Santi Gazzola's were more assists than goals. Yeah, yeah, um, that's, that's the way he played his game. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, fantastic from De La Feu, who's, who's not been the most consistent this season uh, and just put in a put in a big shift. And um, I don't know if it's just because we- he wears the number seven, but that, uh, that hat-trick really reminded me of uh, an informed Luis Suarez, actually, uh, boys. It's um, just rampant. He, yeah, he, he was very composed. The first goal, he almost undercooked his uh, shot where the guy almost cleared it off the line. But, I mean, the last goal where he, where he chipped it into the far, far corner really showed how much confidence he's got. Yeah, he, he was, it was a nice. really complete performance, wasn't it? And something that sort of jumped out at me was that um, before this game, the most goals he's ever scored in a season is four, apparently. And, uh, like, that's, that does, I think, explain somewhat... Uh, in some ways, why he he's bounced around so much? Like he's been at Everton, yeah, um, Barca, yeah. Watford. Uh, I think he was at AC Milan as well a couple of years ago. So like he's been at like some big clubs, but he looks just, to, he looks to have quite a good chemistry with Deeney. Um, and I know it's mm-hmm. easy when you're winning, but I've I've seen them in a couple of games now, and they the the balls they play um, sort of with each other. They that the, the sort of they've almost got a big man little man thing going on. Um, you know, with with Dalefo buzzing around and you know <laughs> just dropping balls into the path of Deeney as he did in this game. Um, he looks he looks to be settling in quite well at Watford now. I know he hasn't had the most consistent season, but he looks to be starting to really settle in. Anyone who lays the ball off to Danny with five yards and an open net, he's going to be befriended by Troy yeah. Denny for life. <laughs> Troy was pretty happy about that <laughs> one. 
Well, and, and Danny got two goals as well in this game, um, which that would have helped his confidence a little bit as well. He hasn't been scoring goals really consistently, uh, really consistently this season. So, um, do you think we could see a more sort of open, uh, open attacking, goal scoring Watford now in the final third of the season? I think that's what we've seen all season long, really. With uh, um, you know, De La Feu chipping in, uh, Dini chipping in, but at the start of the season, it was all about Pereira, um, who was in red hot form. He's, he's sort really of, got, sort of gone off the ball. He's a dropped bit, off a little he? bit now, but I mean, he's always sort of been that sort of player. But yeah, they've got a lo- they've got a lot of attacking options, and um, obviously, when the, when they do have Decore, they've got a massive, uh, they've got a great record as well. Um, he's he's one of their uh, players when he's not in the team, they don't um, they don't tend to win. Um, but yeah, the, it was a completely dominant performance by them, and that was really—I mean, to me—that was showed up in the, in the fourth uh, for the fourth goal. They just played the ball around, held the ball, controlled the tempo, didn't let Cardiff have it. They had a, like a ten-minute spell where they had eighty percent possession or something, mm. and then drew drew Cardiff out, and then bang, just went forward and just Dale Fay clinically just finished it off. And some big big names off the pitch that support Watford are keep uh, Big Elton John uh, happy. And uh, also the three sisters from the Staves, the folk uh, music duo, uh, wow. trio, sorry. So, <laughs> That's um, a super niche. Yeah, and all that, they've uh, also got Harry Potter World out in Watford, which I've, uh, <laughs> 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 I have to say it was uh, my one time in Watford and what a time it was. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so moving along, uh, on to what was um, probably not a, a blockbuster in most people's books, um, Newcastle hosting Huddersfield. Um, probably the most interesting thing for me out of this one was I was kind of excited to see what uh, Miguel Almiron, uh, what he was going to do. Um, and, yeah, really early on in this one, he, he was played in um, 1v1 versus Lucille and he's tried to scoop it over him sort of almost a, a little bit like uh, Di Maria a couple of years ago, mm. uh, a little bit like that. But, yeah, one-on-one with Lucille and... Uh, tried to chip it over him. He's hit the post. And not only that, but that one of the onrushing Newcastle players has come in, tried to scoop up um, uh, the loose ball and has fired that at uh, the goal. And that one's hit the post as well. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating time uh, in football as far as attackers go where you have still got these players like uh, centre forwards uh, still floating around for certain managers want to use uh, you know the big men. Um, but then you've got these players with Mbappe, obviously... Um, trailblazing, uh, who have just out and out pace. Um, and I, I didn't uh, realise how quick Almiron he, he, he's was. He quick. was rapid, he's wasn't really he? He's really quick. And he, you know, I think I'm going to coin him uh, Alma Roadrunner um, <laughs> after this one because he just gassed um, the defence and was unlucky. I mean, it would have been a beautiful goal if he'd got it. Um, but yeah, after that, Tommy, obviously we saw a red card. Yeah, um, on, on our man, uh, Miguel Almiron, he had, uh, I think it's Tommy Smith, isn't it? Yeah, the, correct. Um, the Huddersfield player. He Pretty much two-footed him. Pretty, yeah, it was, this one was pretty awful, and yeah, he deserved to go, I guess. Um, and look, it was really tough to see um, Huddersfield really just getting anything out of the game after that. They really struggled to get a hold of the ball. When I, when I um, see but that. it did take to... When I see Tommy Smith, I always think of um, the old onion bag on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Smith with a Y. Yeah, smart, smart. Tommy yeah. Smith. Um, but it did take almost 46 minutes for, for Newcastle to unlock a resolute Huddersfield defence. Uh, Salomon Rondon uh, scoring after what was a bit of a goal-mouth scramble. Um, and then you had Eosie Perez uh, double lead about six minutes later. And although um, they could have... Uh, they could have made that um, result, I, I guess, blown out. They could have could have blown out a little bit more. Um, that was the way it stayed, and I guess 
it was a little bit flattering probably to Huddersfield in the end. Very, very flattering. Um, Almiron and um, Perez both uh, combined very well. And that's kind of uh, uh, the connection I was going to uh, refer to when you were talking about Arnautovic and... Um, Lanzini. Lanzini, yeah. So so Perez and Almiron, such a small amount of time, uh, we're on the same wavelength. The commentators picked it up as well. And uh, that's encouraging for Newcastle because, I mean, you know, it's very different to have someone like that up front aside from Rondon. Um, who you can link up with, and he, he did quite a few give and goes throughout the game, so encouraging. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see if uh, Almiron kind of kicks on and turns into like a like a big player who's who's providing assists and goals, or if he's just sort of a little bit more um, how would you describe it, more flash and less product. Um, in in some of the ways, how James Madison has sort of turned. Like, I don't know if that's a Leicester thing or if that's just, I just James Madison's forms trailed off a little bit. I, I think, think that's just, I think that's just Tommy, uh, the fantasy manager, getting impatient <laughs> for stats. Uh, I think I think James Madison's still playing quite well. Spot on, <laughs> spot on. Um, but look, yeah, in terms of stats, so you, uh, I mentioned how uh, Newcastle this probably was a little bit flattering for Huddersfield, um, and I think it was in the end. Newcastle had twenty nine shots on target. Um, sorry, 29 shots, only 12 on target, but compare that to Huddersfield's three shots and one on target. Yeah, Huddersfield. We, we said a couple of weeks ago that Absolutely rusted on relegation yeah. fodder. Yeah, but I guess not just that, but like they're really even struggling even against sort of some of their other relegation candidates. And I would still put Newcastle in that category um, that, yeah, they're just struggling even against sort of their peers in some ways. And it could get ugly, I guess, for, for them. I've seen that they're in the Premier League era, they're uh, equal, I think, with Derby. And there's one other team in terms of the lowest uh, lowest points tallies at this point of the season, which is, I guess it's sad because a lot of uh, Huddersfield for a while was a lot of people sort of second teams, especially Australians, like everyone supporting Aaron Moy. And we, we loved seeing the underdog uh, sort of staying up and being competitive, but they've been really uncompetitive this season. And it's been, re- been really disappointing for them. Yeah, Moy's agent for the past three or four months. He's been busy. He needs to have seriously been putting in some phone calls because, yeah, it's been the writing has been on the wall for for a little while now. So hopefully, um, you know, for for all the Australian fans, um, yeah, he, he's going to end up somewhere um, in the Premier League or another equivalent league. I hope he's not going to go down with the ship and and be playing in the Championship next season because he's too good for the Championship. Yeah, agreed. Uh, like I would love to have him at West Ham. I don't know if you guys would even mind a bit. At, um, at Liverpool, is that a bit of a stretch? Oh, I think yeah, he, I think I that's think, a bit of a stretch. I think he, he could potentially go to a Leicester or something like that. Yeah, mm. fair, fair. Mm. Or, or, he's, he's what, it got nowhere near the uh, level of intensity that's that's needed for just the way that Klopp plays. Yeah, he's not mobile anyway. enough, really, is yeah. he? So yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I, I think there's there's probably two thirds of the Premier League that would probably take him, mm. um, and he'd probably start, I'd say, for at least half of them. So a third of the Premier League is going to be starting for. So, um, yeah, busy times, I guess, ahead for, for Moy's agent. Um, speaking of busy busy guys, you had, um, uh, what's his name? Caster Schmeichel was uh, was quite busy in this one, I guess, um, uh, in the Leicester, uh, Leicester game where they hosted Crystal Palace. Yeah, he didn't get his hands to too many of them. No, it wasn't the best game for him, was it? No, no, he didn't. He didn't have his best night out. So, uh, yeah, Palace just continued their great away form and, and dusted up Leicester four one at home. Um, so uh, the the start of the first half, I have to say, was was pretty much all Leicester though. They couldn't really um, make uh, Palace pay, and and then completely against the run of play right before half time. Um, 
Batshuayi just helps on a long-range effort from MacArthur into the goal. Jeez, like, that's he, flattering, isn't he it? Helps claimed it, along. it He very much claimed it. And it was credited to him. But I watched this one on replay quite a few times and I couldn't see the touch. Boys, did you see the touch oh, there's, from Batshuayi? definitely a touch. Yeah, definitely touched him, but he just didn't... But he knew he, nothing he, about yeah, it. Yeah, he didn't know anything about it. <laughs> and so. what's worse, and this was almost my own goal uh, this week as well, was him wheeling away like he the just scored a, world, yeah. like, scored a world. He's <laughs> like... Get out of here, mate. Like, that is... Oh, that is despicable. So, Leicester, Leicester got back into it um, through Johnny Evans, who grabbed his first goal for Leicester. Johnny and, on the spot. Yeah, there he was. Johnny <laughs> on the spot. Absolutely. Um, after a long throw in from Fuchs um, uh, into the box, falls to Harvey Barnes, who just who actually scuffs it. He's going through it for a shot himself. And uh, Johnny Evans, yeah, on the spot, as you say, Jesse, uh, just converts with his first goal and first assist for Harvey Barnes, who was starting. I had never heard of this bloke a couple of weeks ago, but um, he looked he looked decent in this game. I think from memory he got recalled from loan. I can't remember from where, but mm. uh, in January he came back on loan. It might have been from West Brom. Is that right? Potentially. Potentially a cut price option in the run um, for fans. Yeah. Um, I think about four, well, pay, four I've been eight. following him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but from then on, it was all all Leicester, uh, all Palace, sorry. Palace hit back um, pretty soon after that. Zahar just ghosting into the six-yard box to receive a cross from MacArthur, who, nice who really made this goal um, by sort of sucking in a few players and then timing the release of Zahar perfectly um, on the volley. Um, yeah, penal, penalty... Um, for, for Palace, sort of 10 minutes later, uh, Johnny Evans, the villain this time, just taking down a player. And um, when, when Milivojevic steps up for a penalty, you, you pretty much know what the result uh, is going to be. Boys, is Milivojevic one of the best penalty takers in, in the Prem for you? Obviously, you've got the likes of Harry Kane and Milner, who are, who are very good. But sort of behind them, um, this, this guy's it not drops missing. drops away, doesn't it? He's not missing many. Yeah, no, and... Um, interestingly enough, like before he took the pen, they showed up like where he normally takes them, mm. and they're pretty much identical spots, but on both sides. So, and they're, but they're like pretty unsavable areas. Yeah, exactly. On both like sides they're, they're too. good places, but on yeah. both sides. So that's it's not like he he goes right or left sort of ninety percent of the time kind of thing. It's uh, he puts them in hard to get spots, but also there's an element of unpredictability as opposed to uh, regarding what side he's going to go to as well, which. Yeah, like if you know you've just got to pick a side and 50% of the time as the goalkeeper, you're probably going to be wrong anyway. And even if you do go to the right side, you've got a tough shot at actually getting it. That's really tough for a keeper, mm. isn't it? Just psychologically. Yeah, and Schmeichel's tactic for penalties seems to be the, the psych out as well. Um, he was too worried about psyching him out rather than trying to genuinely pick a side and go for it because he was sort of in no man's land for this penalty. Uh, so then... It, so something that stands out about his penalty run-up is how it's real bendy. Like, he, mm. it's almost like a... I don't know how you'd even describe it. It's just real bendy. and uh, banana It's short. Bitch. It's yeah. short and uh, he sort of curves around before he takes it. Yeah, yeah. it's like... I would have thought that would have given away a lot more where he's actually going to put it than what it does, but it it doesn't seem to impact where he's actually going to put the ball, which it's it's odd. It's weird. Did, did the keeper quite the bamboozle? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Palace Palace would uh, help themselves to one more goal uh, later on against the run of play. Obviously, Leicester committing bodies forward, and Zaha just helps himself to one on the break. Uh, so two two mid table teams, boys. Both probably won't go down, but there there are a few few talking points in this one. Um, Puel has been sort of uh, in a bit of hot water for a while um, since beating City. Leicester have had sort of five uh, consecutive home game losses, um, and th- those include losses to Cardiff, Southampton, United, and now Palace. 
Uh, do you think he's going to see out the season? I've, I've thought about calling him Claude of the Dance because he's, <laughs> he's, he's Irish tap dancing his way around the table. And where is he going to finish out? Well, I mean, I'll leave it to you guys. Well, like I've actually got one of my notes is who's going to be sacked first out of these four? Marco Silva, Claude Puel, Claudio Ranieri, or Sari? Who's first? That's, I think, that's a genuinely tough question. Well, I think all four of them could go before the end of the season. And we haven't mentioned uh, one of my own goals this week was going to be the Chelsea transfer ban, um, which has come out of nowhere mm. as well. And it mm. is still developing, obviously, because they have a, they have a uh, an appeal right for that. But, um, yeah, that really doesn't uh, make it uh, a nice proposition for Sari either. And um, that's, a, that's a great question, Tommy, because, um, yeah, I think it could be either Puel or, or Sari for mine. Yeah, I think... But, but is it too late now to say sorry? <laughs> hey <all. laughs> I actually think Puel, even though his club isn't under sort of the most pressure, like I actually think he's been under the most pressure for the longest period of time. So I think this is another result. This, this could be the nail in the coffin for him. He could go this week, depending on how trigger-happy uh, the, the Leicester management are. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that makes me think they'll probably stick with him is that they're just pretty mid-table at this point. They're not in trouble. They're not. They're going to be no. I mean, I know nothing's locked in until the the end of the season. But I mean, they're twelfth. They're on thirty-two points. I know that um, they're, they're sort also of two points above Palace, who up until recently everyone was talking about Palace for relegation. So. Yeah, so crucial result for Palace, um, and uh, they're certainly not out of the woods yet. Although you'd think they're very, very unlikely to go down. Yeah. That, I would say Palace of, and Burnley are safe now. Yeah, and I think Leicester, Leicester, you'd say are safe as well. Um, but yeah, obviously you can never sort of count it out to the end of the season, but that's just one thing that makes me think they'll probably stick with Puel because as much as he doesn't seem to be too liked or be generating a lot of excitement around the players in the club, he's sort of pretty dependable. I mean, they're, they're in a patch of bad form at the moment, but he's more, he's more or less quite a dependable manager and he's done well at most of the clubs he seems to have been at, at least in the Premier League. It's weird that, like... There were, I remember there was a period, I think it might have been 12, 12 months or so ago, when he was under a little bit of pressure at Leicester. And I was sort of like, why? Why is he under pressure? He's he's keeping a mid-table team mid-table. Like, I just think, what, I, what do they expect him I to do? I just think it comes back to tactics. I mean, against the big teams, he, he, he really tightens it up, um, frustrates teams. Vardy gets goals on the break, and they look like a top five, top six team. And then all of a sudden, he plays against another team in the same sort of era in the table as him. Um, decides to have a go, gets belted for one. So, for me, it's the strategy that lets him down. Not so much the, um, yeah. I think the, the tactics was that he was just trying to be a bit more brazen. Yeah, right. All right. Um, we will move on to uh, Colby. One point that uh, you kind of brought up then, which was about the news that um, Chelsea, um, Chelsea have been awarded a, a two transfer window penalty. Um, that they they aren't going to be permitted to make transfers. Now it does mean that they can release players, but it does mean that they, yeah, can't can't. I, I'm not sure if it um, also includes loans or not, but um, I would suspect that it does. Um, now they've also obviously got a huge amount of players out on loan. I think more than any other club in Europe. I think, um, but it does mean that like this puts Sarri in a particularly difficult position where. Um, I thought that Sari needed two transfer windows before like he could sort of challenge for the title, but now I I almost see his position as almost untenable. Like he, his team well, is from both perspectives, right? Like he's not going to want to be there because he's not going to be able to get in the players he wants yeah. to implement his system, and he's not going to be wanted there because he can't get in the players to implement his system, and he's going to keep 
losing matches, so the results aren't going to be there either. Well, yeah, so, I can't see them making Champions League next season again. It's like, got to be, it, yeah, it's, they, they've got to just get in a, a proper manager. The next appointment is, if this um, band gets upheld, the next appointment for Chelsea is so, so critical because he's just going to have to work with what he's got for the next two transfer windows. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like, I think it was I think it was Barca who, who had one yeah, of these as well, was. wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, they had Messi and a bunch of other like amazing players already. They weren't a squad that needed massive overhaul. Good, this good is luck a, to Hazard getting that move to Real Madrid now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I assume that they're allowed to sell players still, but allowed. But yeah, that you know, if they no, can't I mean, get anyone to replace him, they're yeah, going exactly. to make him run out his contract. Which yeah, it almost means that uh, I'm not sure how long he I has sort of left. Feel for his... him because that like that really like screws the end of his career, doesn't it? Well, yeah, not screws like... it, but like stops him from achieving his sort of dream of going and playing for one of those clubs potentially and through no fault of his own as well. Mm. Like he, he has, and he's been loyal to the club. That's why he stayed. And I think there was, I don't know if there was an unwritten sort of uh, agreement that he would sort of move on soon or now or whenever. But I suspect that that's probably what it has been. You know, Hazard, please just give us another season and, and, um, you know, get us get us back into the Champions League, and then you can, you know, then then you know we'll promise we'll let you go. But uh, no, it's, it's sort of uh, hands are, hands might be getting tired pretty soon. It sounds like we need a Chelsea corner sooner rather than later. Yeah, another one, yeah. another one. We just we need we're almost needing weekly Chelsea corners at this point. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll to, to all the listeners, we'll, we'll certainly be having one uh, very soon. As soon as as soon as George is next available to be on the pod, we'll be we'll be hitting him up. Smashing uh, so him again. Smashing him. <laughs> in, the, in the blue corner. All right. Speaking of smashings, though, uh, you've got Arsenal hosting Southampton in one of the uh, the games to come left in this round. Boys, what are your thoughts on this one? I, I can't see Southampton getting much out of this. I can't see Arsenal keeping a clean sheet. Oh, we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> Arsenal will find a way to help the ball into the net for Southampton. Uh, and um, we, we could see the uh, the return of Ozil, I would say. Um, they, they used well, him in the put, Europa League yeah. against uh, Bate, and um, he looked quite good in that game from, from the highlights that I saw. Um, so, yeah, I'd say uh, he'd be back in his flat-track bully role. Um, of um, just being a small, small team specialist. <laughs> I, saw, I saw an image the other day floating around, which was just a, 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 a sort of a champions, two, two best 11s versus each other. And it had like, you know, all the usual suspects and Messi and Ronaldo and all that sort of thing. And somebody had Ozil as attacking mid. And I think this, this, this must have been drawn about four or five years ago. But just, it doesn't just illustrate where Ozil is now and where he was regarded maybe four or five years ago. He was he was, in he was regarded as probably one of the best number tens in Europe. Incredible, say. wasn't it? Yeah. It's similar to Sanchez though, and mm. like some some players drop off quicker than others. And I would say both of those two they've dropped off a cliff. In the I would last say Sanchez has had a bigger drop off than Ozil though. To be yeah, honest, I he's been playing that. more minutes than Ozil, but he's he's he played like five years without a summer break. Absolute shadow of his former self. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to go out on limb and say two one to Arsenal on that one. Agreed. Yeah, that sounds sounds, sounds spot right. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, and then that takes us to the big one, boys. This is uh, Liverpool's game in hand. Uh, fortunately uh, for, for City, though, it's against Man United. Uh, I guess a relatively still informed Man United. Uh, what are your thoughts for this one, guys? Are you, are you nervous being Liverpool fans for this one, or are you, are you still confident? Always nervous, uh, always nervous. But I think that... It's in- a big game, isn't it? Not just because of who it is. It, in the context of the title race, this is massive, this game. Yeah, and I think... Um, from a tactical perspective, Man United seem to have four options. It's like their home um, strategy against big teams, 
home strategy against small teams and then the same for away. There seems to be four different ways he seems to go. And it's been pretty clear that on his away uh, games against big teams, at least in the short time he's been at the helm, he's used Rashford um, kind of on a diagonal with Pogba to, to, to get those goals. But then their home strategy against big teams hasn't been something that's been looked at too much so far because they haven't had too many big players' um, teams come through. So I think Liverpool will play a 4-3-3, um, trying to uh, expose them. So no Shaqiri? Uh, potentially they may switch if they get a goal. Um, like my prediction for the game is, they'll go back pa- to the four-two-three-one. They might go for the four-two-three-one and bring on Shaq in the second half. So I, I, I hope personally as a as a Liverpool fan that they they get a two-nil away win. Um, and if if that is the way it rolls out, it should be a four-three-three and then a switch to a four-two-three-one. Boys, City could win two trophies on this night. Uh, they've got. Ooh. They've got the Carabao Cup final, um, that, which they'll be playing on the same day, which you'd um, expect them to win. Uh, and then if, if Liverpool uh, lose to United, um, then City go back ahead on goal difference or stay ahead on goal difference, rather, and it's really in their hands for the rest of the season. So yeah. this, this game is is critical. I, I would be more than happy with a draw. So Same. Yeah, if you, if you told me Liverpool would be getting a draw right now, I'd take it. Mm. So a, a draw would take you, what, uh, one point clear Just one of point. City? That's um, all you need. Before you'd said that, I was actually going to ask, is is a draw almost a loss in this? But it sounds like a, a, a point here would Context-wise, be... Context-wise, not a loss. Um, a loss would be, as Colby said, pretty uh, big blow. Um, yeah, fair mm. enough, fair enough. Yep. Um, and I guess it... it does show how big sort of even just the timing of some of these fixtures can can play in in how your season goes. Like, I mean, it was only two months ago that you would have said, yeah, Liverpool should spank them three nil uh, in in this kind of fixture. Yeah. But now, I mean, it's such a different proposition. What a difference um, a couple of months can make. And we were making this comment in the context of form lines changing and other things changing in our Champions League predictions. Um, but in terms of uh, from the United perspective, yeah, um, the last time these clubs met was the catalyst for uh, Mourinho losing his job. Um, they lost to Liverpool uh, and quite comprehensively so. And that I think was, it was 3-1, yeah. three, 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 I think it was. One I think Mourinho got one yeah. at the end, yep, yep. Uh, And so that was, that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of uh, Mourinho losing the job. And, and on the other side of the coin now, I think that this, um, if United get a good result here, could be uh, Solskjaer getting the job. Yeah, it's, it's the feather in his cap that he wants, um, for sure. One thing about Man United is that after they've gone up against some teams recently, they've actually just completely dropped off. Um, uh, just I don't know if it's a conserve energy, but they've basically just pulled back and said, you know, you have the ball. And I don't think they can afford to do that against Liverpool, especially at home. Liverpool don't come to this away fixture with as much... Um, apprehension as they would in the past. I mean, obviously it's a huge game, but it, but they've gone to City and they lost by one goal in a very competitive game. So it means for me that I, I, it's it's a fascinating game. And, and if you're a, if you're a Premier League, um, you know you work on the board and you're trying to sell the the league to the rest of the world. I mean, what a great position to be in from a marketing perspective. Um, it's a great advertisement for for the league. This is one of those games where everyone looks forward to it every season. And with the added extra context of, I guess, where Liverpool are in the title race this season, this is just like a marketer's wet dream, really, isn't it? I'd have to say, I, 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 one last thing on that is uh, I, I had a drink with a friend of mine who's a Man United fan uh, last week, and he was like, oh, I can't wait to, to help City win the title. And I just thought, mate, I feel so sorry for you, mate. Yeah, say that out loud to yourself it's, again, it's mate. It's just, it, like, I mean... 
I, I get it. I get the reasons why they'd probably rather City to win. They can justify it with the amount of money that's been thrown at that club and all that sort of thing. But for me, I mean, also what a lack sad of history at City as well. What a I sad state of affairs yeah. if you're wanting your cross down a rival to beat, uh, you know, your other rival. It's sad times. It's a weird dynamic that Liverpool are bigger rivals to Man United than City are. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll be we'll be covering uh, the results, uh, you know, next week on the podcast. I would say. Next up, Champions League. Watch by Alexandro. As the ball comes over towards Morata, and he's head on that one. And this time it will come. Jimenez is there from close range, and Atletico Madrid have the goal that they thought they deserved a few minutes. Before. To put a little more pressure now on the uh, Italian champions in from Griezmann, just requires a little touch. Godin is there, and Godin makes it too. The captain strikes for Atletico Madrid, and it's a big, big first leg lead now. There goes the final whistle blown by Felix Vea. Celebrations for those in red and white, a job only half done. They'll remember that, but it is advantage Atletico Madrid. They have beaten Juventus by two goals to nil in the first leg. All right, there was uh, four Champions League matches uh, midweek this week. Uh, The first one that we're going to cover, though, is Atletico Madrid hosting Juventus. Now, this is one that we all kind of expected to be pretty cagey, not a lot of goals, but um, Atleti ended up coming out on top 2-0. The two Uruguayan centre-back pairing... Um, Godin and Jimenez, Jimenez, Jimenez. Um, <laughs> uh, got the goals for Atleti um, on Morata and Ronaldo's uh, return to Madrid. Um, boys, what were your thoughts on this one? Do you think uh, Ronaldo can rescue um, Juve from this one? Look, the UEFA for Mafia uh, did their best to uh, try and keep Juve in this game uh, when they disallowed uh, Morata's uh, quite well-taken goal for a, um, for a very soft um, push on the back of the defender. Um, but, uh, yeah, Atleti, uh, you know, proved they have the cojones to, uh, to <laughs> see games like this through. And I was, I was quite proud, and I think even Simeone was, was quite surprised that uh, Atleti got the second goal. Um, you know, normally they're sort of a one and shut up shop sort of team. And it's huge, wasn't it? Like in the grand scheme of things, it's a huge result, isn't it? Mm. Massive. Um, and I mean, they are they are home goals. Juve didn't get a critical away goal, which is which is great for Atleti. Um, and yeah, it has been talked about in the sort of days since. But what, the one comment that that I keep hearing is, um, you know, if you if you want one team in Europe to be able to sort of shut out um, a team on the away leg, it's um, Atleti. So it'll be, it, it will really be defence against attack uh, in the return leg in Turin. It's a really interesting thing with these competitions too about form because, I mean, Juventus, when, when they're on their day and everyone sort of turns up and plays to their potential, you'd, you'd think that they can't be stopped. But then, you know, he took Dybala off later on. He brought on Emre Chan. I said to Andy uh, as a bit of a wind-up on the group chat, um, you know, he was uh, Ronaldo was looking up to see uh, Dybala at the end of the game and there was Emre. And, um, <laughs> and you know, that's, that was where the end of the game was for Juventus. They, they didn't look as star-studded as they did coming into the game. It just, and, and that comes down to form. You start to lose a bit of confidence in the players around you. And sure, I mean, I mean the only time I can see, uh, the only way I can see Juventus turning this around is a, a Ronaldo 
Real Madrid like performance by the scruff of the neck, he scores a hat trick by the cojones. <laughs> Third time we've had that joke now, isn't it? But just before we move on from Emery Chan, good on him. He's, uh, he's he, he could be winning titles uh, at Liverpool, and now he's going to be knocked out in the round of sixteen for Juventus. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> holding, on a bit, holding on a bit tight there, I think, Colby. <laughs> uh, I am I, I am one for an early and often wrong celebration. <laughs> so uh, Liverpool are now going to miss the title and uh, Juventus are going to win the Champions League. <laughs> I'm just uh, looking around the apartment for some timber at this point. Got to touch some wood. Uh, but yeah, Ronaldo, boys... Um, our uh, our very own Damo sent us uh, sent us a little stat uh, on Ronaldo his his numbers in the Champions League so far so six games played four hundred and seventy nine minutes he's got one goal one red card and copped three losses uh, so yeah quite quite a different. Um, Stat package, I suppose, than the than the five fingers for the five Champions League that he was holding up at the end of the game when he was a bit uh, impetuous in the media zone. And and again, you know, FIFA Ronaldo really coming up on top of uh, real real Ronaldo. Um, you'd expect him to bang those in. He would, you would. He did have one chance from a free kick, which forced a very good save from All Black. But other than that, he wasn't pretty much really went, in went the game. quite yeah. straight at the keeper, though. I think it was a powerful here. It contact. was powerful and was swerving about, but it's the kind of thing that you would expect All Black to eat up. Yeah, true. And I mean, yeah, re- really, that was, I was just sort of wanting to say that was Ronaldo's only sort of clear chance oh, in right, the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, so boys, what do you think is? Um, we did uh, score a goal right at the end. Ronaldo OG. Who do you think is going to uh, win the tie overall now? Atleti. Yeah, I think Atletico. Yep, agreed. That makes Hard three of us. Them. All right, uh, moving on though. So you had uh, Leon hosted Barcelona, and uh, Barcelona were, I guess, uncharacteristically um, missy in this one. Um, they. Can you uh, push get to the point, mate? <laughs> Hey, that was good. That was good. Um, they had 25 shots and only five on target, which, um, yeah, is very un-Barcelona-like, where they would normally probably put three or four uh, away on a day like that. Um, boys, this one ended up finishing nil all. I think it's a spectacular effort by Leon to keep it at nil all, but obviously quite a bit of luck involved as well. Oh, but to Stegen, what a save. Um, that was almost one of my moments of the week, that one. Um, tipped it onto the bar um, after... It was going to be a, a worldie, um, the shot from Leon, and he tipped onto the bar and ended up being a worldie save. In ended the up end. being a worldie save. I mean, admittedly, uh, Barcelona peppered Leon's box in the last um, twenty minutes and could have almost scored themselves. But yeah, I think that if you look if in the context of the draw and the fact that it's wide open going into the second leg, uh, that could be a big save for Barcelona. It, it makes it really tough, I guess, from this point onwards for Barca to uh, sorry for Leon to stay in the draw. Though it means they. I guess that if they get a draw at, at Barca, a score draw, they, they go through on away goals. But, um, boys, do you think that Leon has still got a chance in this? No, you'd have to still give it to Barcelona, I would say, in the return leg. Um, yeah. It's not the Messi of five years ago, but still it's Messi. Yeah, pretty much. He's I mean, still human. Great, great for great for Leon to um, hold Barca to a draw, um, and you know, very very well played. And um, you know, they have shown. We did mention last week um, when we we're previewing this game that um, they've had some good results um, in European competition. Um, they had some good results against City as well yeah, on the road. Sort of fancy on the road, teams yeah. on the road. Yep. Um, so you know, they're doing they're doing good things. Um, Obviously, it's it's tough to to get up over the course of a season uh, against PSG in their domestic league. But I mean, 
uh, yeah, they they are sort of one of the only other shining lights of the French league, other than other than PSG. So it's good, it's good to sort yeah, of see another team. Right off this yeah, season, and they? it's looking like they they could even get relegated. But um, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, they only, they only came back up a couple of years ago as well. Which the fact that they even got relegated within the last ten years blows my mind somewhat. But anyway, sorry, enough about Monaco, who we're not really discussing today. Mm. Um, yeah, but you'd think Barcelona will go through. Jesse agreed. Yeah, I think so right, as well. That makes three of us. Um, there was another nil all draw, which was Liverpool when they hosted uh, Bayern. Uh, Jesse, do you want to? Yeah, take us well, that one? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it was the night of nil all draws, and uh, I don't think many people before the game would would have expected that result for the Liverpool game. Um, but yeah, very entertaining first half. I think Bayern actually had the um, the upper hand for the first. Um, 15 to 20 minutes and then uh, Liverpool really came back into it um, wrestled back some of the, the position and momentum um, there was a really nice chance where Salah squeezed between two centre-backs off a Hendo pass um, and almost caught on the volley it ended up being a pretty tame eff- effort um, Coleman had a good chance Alisson almost um, uh, had, had a <laughs> Alisson against Leicester moment where he almost <laughs> gave up the um, position and it's Immensely frustrating to watch as a fan because he's just put, putting that pressure on top of himself for no reason. Um, this is the same guy that everyone said was amazing with his feet, but he's had three he, now this season where he's his decision making most of the time is actually one of the reasons why he's been an asset to us because he will release the ball in times where other goalkeepers will just heave it downfield. There are moments where he just needs to heave it downfield, and those are the moments where he sort of gets a little bit too confident. He was getting pressed a lot and, in the first half, and yeah, yeah, like you said, he he almost. Um, made a very costly mistake. Yeah, he, yeah, and I, I think the uh, the frustrating thing about that is that down the other end, Mane um, had some great chances. Uh, I mean, one of them admittedly was a, a speculator with a bicycle kick, but he did have one where the ball fell to him really nicely, and he just dragged it, um, dragged to the uh, past the far post. So, um, also there was a, a crucial um, challenge on Fabinho uh, later in the game against Lewandowski. Um, the fact that Liverpool kept out Lewandowski, um, kept him so quiet, was a real positive because he was the one I was probably most worried about um, going into the game. Um, and there's a lot of talk as well about um, no Ribéry and Robin, even though they're sort of coming to the end of their careers, but no Ribéry and Robin on the wings. But I actually thought Bayern's biggest threat was uh, Serge Canabry mm. and um, Coman um, on the other wing. Wasn't was, he? It was, was hard to believe good, that he was the same player from Arsenal a couple of years ago. Yeah, and there's that. There was that tweet going around. I don't know whether you boys saw it, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, sort of saying, um, oh, where was it? Uh, that, um, you know, Serge Canabry, it was from 2015, and it was uh, Tony Poulos saying, oh, you know, the Arsenal only Serge Canabry, he's not really good enough for West Brom. So, <laughs> uh, how, how wrong he was. Yeah, that's right. Um, Interestingly enough, you mentioned about uh, being worried about uh, Lewandowski and keeping him out. Bayern didn't have a shot on target in the whole game, which. I guess speaks volumes to how well Liverpool defended as well. Without Van Dijk. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so that's a really good point. So a, a patched up defence, and uh, that was my, um, apart from Lewandowski, it was my main worry going into the game. Um, uh, Fabinho back there with Matip, uh, it was just outrageous um, that those two were playing together. And I don't even know before this if they'd played together like in a, a game of this magnitude before. Probably only this week in training. <laughs> it's, just, it's just madness. But the fact they kept out a, a clean sheet was great. Um, I I did notice in this game, um, and this will be interesting trans, um, translating over to the Manchester United game tonight, no one's really t- uh, targeted the um, left side uh, while Virgil van Dijk's been at Liverpool. So you've got um, Robbo and Virgil van Dijk on one side. And usually the side that um, uh, op- opposition teams go down is the right side. Um, 
their left um, for, for Trent and, and whoever the other centre-back is. But interestingly in this game, and you were talking about um, Canabry having a good game, well, it's it's essentially because he identified that you've got a, a centre-back that's not Virgil van Dijk, and they just started running down that side. So um, Liverpool had to deal with um, kind of a... Uh, an assault on down a different flank that they're used to. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, and Robbo was um, uncharacteristically... Um, Had an off night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and got done, like absolutely done by Canabry on a few occasions and, and Liverpool were lucky to sort of recover from, from those without um, conceding a goal. So um, that was that was a good result. But yeah, a little bit, little bit worrying and you'd, you'd hope Robbo goes back to his consistent best. Yeah, and he's been very good since he's come in, uh, I guess, after that sort of six-month sort of slow integration into the team. But I don't think... I don't really remember a time when a team has put his side under, I guess, any sort of sustained pressure. And, yeah, some of that might be down to Van Dyke. But remember, Robertson sort of started... He, he came into the team before Van Dyke arrived. So um, I think I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that if they knew that Robertson almost felt like, in a way, he needed to, to sort of stay back and babysit the... Uh, the yeah. centre back a bit, mm-hmm. and that really, I think that rattled Robbo a bit, and he was um, uncorrected. Not, not as confident, not as, as confident might normally be. Big yeah. blow uh, on uh, in an inverted way, a big blow for Bayern as losing Kimmich uh, with a yellow card for the yeah, next that's leg. Huge, isn't it? So he would have really freed up Canabry to uh, to bomb forward. So that's going to be interesting to see how they yeah, do that. So you've got Kimmich out for for Bayern. Um, obviously, um, Muller still out for that karate kick um, in the Ajax game. Um, and, and Van Dyke in for Liverpool. Uh, who do you think is, is going to be sort of feeling the pressure more in, in going into that second league, boys? Well, again, it just really points to the fact that this this game tonight is huge for Liverpool because if they, if they go to Old Trafford and can get a result, um, and things are that's a big shot in the arm for them, and that could be the difference between them being able to go to to uh, Allianz Arena and getting a result or not. Champions League's always been a bigger goal, I guess, for, for Liverpool than domestically. Um, however, they're right in the Premier League title race. If they had to pick, if, if you had to pick, would you take a Premier League title over progressing later into the Champions League stages at this point in the season? 100%. Yeah, definitely. Premier League. I think, I think, you ask any Liverpool fan yeah. and they would say that. Mm. But, um, Purely you know, just because of the length of time since it's been since a Premier correct. League win? And, and Klopp's been asked this and all the players have been asked this and it's oh, been one okay, of the... Right, yeah, yeah. And, and they... It's been done to death. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they're sort of all saying, you know, that we're just... Well, yeah, the, the sort of usual line about, we, you know, we're just taking every game into one game at a time. We're just trying to win everything we can. Mm. We're winning whatever's in front of us. But, um, you know, I think if you, I think if you really... You know, put a gun to Klopp's head, he would he would tell you that the Premier League is is probably the the priority, and and vice versa for uh, for Pep actually, um, he'd he'd probably be prioritising the Champions mm, League. But exactly, you, know, you, you you won't get that answer out of any of the managers of the players. Interesting. Um, in terms of uh, Liverpool's Premier League title rivals, though, they were also in competition against. Coincidentally, also another German team as well. You had uh, Schalke hosting uh, Manchester City. Um, and Schalke at one point actually were up, I think, 2-1 in this game. Um, but uh, City were able to come back and uh, through Sane and Sterling. Um, huge, night, up... huge night for Andy Corbinitis. What a rollercoaster. Both Juve and Manchester City on show. Um, yeah, and this one ended up finishing up uh, 3-2 to Man City. And look, it's, I guess it's very tough to see Schalke getting anything back from this, noting that they've got to go back to Manchester for the second league now. Yeah, um, they'd have to... They'd have to win outright, I think, because they're, they're not going to score four away goals... Or, sorry, three away goals at 
um, huge moment for Manchester. There, absolutely, hu- hu- huge moment for Sane because I mean, you don't see these kind of plays that often anymore. Where like it used to be a real feature of Chelsea, as as much as it pains me to say, they had players like Drogba and things like that that could just in a really tight game in the 84th minute, if they had a dead ball outside the box, they could somehow just get out, get a 2-1 result. And if you think about the context of this game, I mean, <laughs> City were in trouble. and Sane City were doing their best to lose this game, S- weren't they? Sane was, you know, it was they were 2-1 down. It was the 84th minute. Uh, he bangs in an absolute worldie, and then Sterling poaches one at the end. So what a, what a different night it could have been if Sane hadn't uh, converted that free kick. Yeah, it absolutely changed the game, didn't it? And, and Schalke have really been struggling this season. They're, they're down in 14th at the moment still, uh, only, what, two two places above the relegation zone. So this is probably pretty much what they're all playing for other than to stay up. And look, I, I would suggest they're most, yeah, I think they're, what, eight points above the relegation zone in, in Germany. So they're, they're unlikely to get relegated. So once, if they get knocked out of the Champions League, they've arguably got really nothing left to play for for the rest of the season. So, um yeah, they, they will be putting, I guess, everything into this game because, I mean, Manchester City, they'll be coming off of a, a League Cup final, probably a win. Um, but they've also got a lot of other competitions which, I guess, are, are splitting their attention as well. So, look, I guess Schalke maybe can't necessarily be fully written off here. It could be, a, I guess, a bit of a banana skin for City. But, um, yeah, it's hard to see City stuffing this one up even though they try their best certainly to helps. stuff it up. It certainly helps when they have Kevin De Bruyne playing in all cup games. Um, you know, their B team is essentially ridiculous. So um, I don't think it's going to impact City too much. But great for City because they, in the group stage, um, as we mentioned before, were a little bit, you know, had their wobbles um, with that, um, that game at Lyon and they haven't looked terribly convincing, including in this game. But the one thing you would say for them is they sort of had the character to sort of come back and back themselves and get back into this game. They found a way, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and they found a spine. And, um, yeah, I think that'll be that, that'll be really um, – that they can build on that uh, in this competition. And, I, and, quite frankly, good luck to them in the Champions League. You know, keep going as far as you can, City. Uh, the more tired you get, the better. <laughs> All right. Um, next up, uh, we'll discuss the Alec. To float it in, there's a chance here. Oh, that is a stunning, stunning goal by Eric Bojack. That's one of the goals of the season. Acrobatic, dexterous, almost gymnastic-like. Floated back in by Pepper. Graham off balance. Oh, oh my goodness. Another thumping goal. That is world-class from Alex Lopez. Kai, oh, chance on here. Wenzel Horst to finish it. Does so with a plum. 5 2. Dylan Wenzel Halls and Darren Davis punches the air. He thinks it's enough and it probably will be. Who has the final say with a blast on the whistle? A quite remarkable night. A crazy, crazy game that featured eight goals. A first ever 5 3 scoreline in the A League's history. Alrighty, um, there was a couple of games in uh, in the A League over the last couple of days. One in particular, which has caught our attention, was not the Melbourne Derby. It was actually the Wooden Spoon Derby between Central Coast and Brisbane, which was a thriller, uh, probably for all of the wrong reasons. Neither team really wanted to defend. It seemed um, it finished five three to to Brisbane, and 
Colby is just chomping at the bit to talk us through. Get me on here. Get me on. <laughs> this, this, this game was tastier than a Kevin Lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> I've not got to talk about a lot of Brisbane wins uh, this season. Uh, and uh, the, keep the, this to less than 20 minutes, please. The Spoon Derby, look, boys, um, we weren't playing for March. We are playing for Pride, obviously, both teams with no relegation uh, in the A-League. Uh, Looking to avoid the wooden spoon, but uh, this was still quite a satisfying win, notwithstanding that neither team had anything to play for. So, uh, five goals in the world in the um, in the first half, but it ended with eight goals, including two worldies and two red cards. The Mariners finishing on nine men. I actually don't think any of the goals were like ordinary. They were all pretty. They were incredible. all pretty decent. Yeah, very very decent and. Um, yeah, so Brisbane got themselves into it in the first half um, with, a, with a bicycle kick from Eric Botiak, uh, followed closely by uh, an absolute rocket from outside the area by Alex Lopez. Emphatic. He on the volley. Emphatic. Uh, a looping header from Mickelson. Um, Central Coast sort of kept themselves in it at, at various points um, during the match, um, but it's sort of all, um, all sort of started to unfold for them when O'Neill, who had picked up a... Um, a goal himself uh, also picked up a second yellow after swearing at the ref, um, and there was a lot, of, a lot of dissent from the Central Coast players. Um, Matt Simon got himself sent off at the end of the game uh, for a second bout of dissent as well, and arguably should have been sent off much earlier in the game. Um, so it's a first away win of the season for Darren Davies' uh, Brisbane Raw side, um, and it's the second, um, his second win in charge, um, moving the Raw to 15 points, just 15 points at this point of the season and leaves at the Mariners on just seven points who look a certainty to pick up their, th- I think it's their third wooden spoon. On, on the trot? Uh, no, not on the trot. Um, but yeah, they, they, I think they would beat the Jets. It's either their third or their fourth. And I think if they do pick it up, which it looks like they will, they'll beat the Jets for the all-time most wooden spoons in the A-League. So doubly not a great stat you want. Um, boys, a few points from me on this one. Um, and first one is just the state of these two clubs in this um, still salary-capped league. So these clubs in sort of... Around the 2010-11 mark, um, were sort of battling it out for, for titles. They were playing grand finals against each other, both winning championships, and now they're ninth and tenth in a genuine battle for the wooden spoon. Um, both have been hit by key injuries, with um, the Central Coast losing um, Tommy Orr to injury and um, the Raw losing Mork, and with some failed foreigners as well. Um, you obviously had McCormack, who's um, now racked off back to Scotland, uh, and Taggart and Papadopoulos sort of leaving the roar as well. Um, what do you what do you think about that in general? What do you what are your thoughts on the, the sort of state of the league and um, you know the fact that it can allow clubs to sort of just get into these malaise with no sort of, um, sort no of incentives to improve? We, yeah. We've talked before about the the lack of um, relegation, sort of not giving people you know teams that incentive in the last couple of months of the competition to, to really get up and, and, and that side of things. But um, I actually think that one thing is, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have both. Um, like the, the A-League want, want the Wanderers and, you know, soon to be Western United and other teams to be up there and competing. They don't want them to be – they don't want the Western United versus um, uh, the Wanderers, for example, to be the Wooden Spoon Derby. It's just not you, – you, those clubs are expected to uh, perform their – you know the the Phoenix coach has been linked to the Western United team. Like the, the 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 best facilities and I guess players have been linked to these new clubs or the two big Melbourne clubs. 
for those reasons, for me, and I'm not a huge follower of the A-League, but I, I, I keep an eye on it, and I think that that, for me, is one of the reasons why you do see two clubs that previously were, you know, I guess you consider to be heavyweights struggling. It could also be that they're in a natural cycle where um, there really needs to be a bit of a clean-out and a, a reboot, and that is reflected. I mean, that often happens in the NRL and the rugby league competition. It's also salary capped. So, I think the biggest thing that we see is, you're right, like the likes of Sydney and, uh, and Melbourne Victory, they do have down years, but they're shorter and not as deep. Um, yeah, like a, Mel- a, a down year for Melbourne Victory is like last year when they won the when they won the championship. They're, it was their down year because they finished fifth or something, only yeah. sort of just making it in the finals, and then they stormed home and won the thing. So, yeah, that, that that's the difference, as you say, Tommy. Yeah, and I guess maybe we are starting to see sort of uh, an averaging out over the course of or the life of the A-League where the bigger clubs from bigger markets are able to, to use the uh, the the more financial opportunities that they're getting from the likes of sponsorship and well, bigger crowds. clubs, to Yeah, be but, but they're able to invest money in other areas off the pitch. So, yeah, there is and still... And it's a, a virtuous cycle. It's because they've invested the money in the first place exactly, that they are yielding exactly. these results and they're then able to invest more money. So, yeah, like, we are seeing, like, the likes of... So, like, Wellington and Newcastle, they have had, like, good years... Um, but they're unable to maintain that because, like, they lose, like, one player or two players to overseas, and, and they're unable to sort of build on that and, ma- and uh, generate any sort of momentum, long-term momentum, yes. over multiple seasons. That's what yeah. I was going to say, because for me, the Wellington and the Newcastle example are different from a, a Sydney or a Melbourne victory, because Sydney and Melbourne victory are successful, um, you know, in spite of their some of their players and in spite of some of their managers, although they have had arguably good managers, um, you know, obviously Graham Arnold's in the Socceroos job now and, and Muskie somehow is is still doing a great job at victory. But they're, they're good because their clubs are run well, whereas you can see with the Phoenix and... Um, and Newcastle, that they've been good because of, um, you know, maybe personnel that they've been able to bring in. And, and certainly um, you've There's seen that with Mark Rodin at, uh, at the Knicks and the turnaround that he's been able to affect in just a season. So, But a couple of key personnel can really turn around like a, a season for them. Yep. But then if they leave, then everything falls to pieces. That's and right. It takes it's, them two years to recover. It's much more short-termist. Yeah. And, yeah, so I, I take your point. Like, and, like, AFL's talked a lot about sort of equalisation and trying to not just the playing squad, but trying to equalise and almost put like salary type, uh, salary cap type restrictions on the off-field playing staff as well and, and other stuff like that. And I'm not sure if the A-League wants to go down that road. It's a lot of people just want, for football. Yeah, and a lot of people just want to get rid of uh, the salary cap. And look, I, I actually I can see it getting worse, not better. If I think we you need to get rid of the cap. salary cap before you introduce promotion rele- relegation. I think they both should be goals at some point, but... You need to be able to um, get rid of that and give clubs like a decade, I don't know, like a long time to um, adjust before they have that threat of getting absolutely sunk by it and, and, and you know, by other clubs um, just racing ahead of them. Um, but, yeah, you, you sort of touched on it, Tommy, but um, I think both of these clubs, in terms of what they need to do in the future to improve, um, Jesse, you said they need a big shake-up, but I almost think that... Um, 
the opposite is sometimes true with these A-League clubs. Sometimes they get so much of a shake-up and it's so risky because um, given the salary cap, they can hire you know so few foreigners and marquees that it's crucial that those appointments go right. And in these situations, you've seen that the appointments for one reason or another and sometimes out of their control, often out of their control, don't go right and that's what sinks their season. Mm. So they can, also, they can also be in a Monaco situation they need- where they, get, they develop their youth really well, so well that everybody pinches their youth and they have to go back to square one. Yeah, and I mean, you've seen that in Brisbane with um, a lot of the youth players that they do develop often sort of going down to the Melbourne and Sydney clubs. But I think what's needed for a lot of these clubs is just consistency often um, and from one season to, to the next. And I think that's why you might see the likes of... Um, Magic Mike Mulvey staying at Central Coast because, you know, despite being a bit of a flog, he's actually not a bad manager. He's just had pretty bad run this season with injuries and and the, the, you know, the sort of foreigners that he's got in for things that are outside of his control. It's it's something, I guess, along these sort of lines that having a technical director would kind of iron out. If you get a good technical director in, you put all the sort of the right structure and process in place, sorry, and you find that... um, at least in theory, that it should sort of iron out some of these kinks of having like a, maybe a manager come and go and you're still playing the same type of football and your players coming through from your academy and so on and so forth, which is all great in theory, but I guess I'm not sure if we really have the same culture of sort of having a technical director in Australian clubs in Australia. Um, but anyway, um, moving along to uh, Wellington-hosted uh, Sydney, uh, the Nucks uh, unfortunately weren't able to, to hold out Sydney and Sydney ended up getting away with the, the 1-0 win in this one, uh, which means that Sydney actually jump up uh, and overtook uh, victory uh, prior to the derby, uh, assuming that they didn't get any points out of that one. And as it turned out, uh, Sydney will actually stay ahead of um, stay ahead of victory uh, in second place. Mm. Still seven points clear of glory, though. Um, did you had any, any points out of this one you wanted to bring up or...? Yeah, just I felt a bit felt a bit sorry for the uh, for the Knicks in this one. They they did uh, create quite a few chances, and I I know Kristen has been he's had a really good season, and uh, everyone holds him in high regard. And I, I think he is like he just at times he just looks like such a fantastic player. Um, but just the last few weeks, I suppose my 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 only gripe with him has been he's had some big chances. Um, and 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 like I said in the last pot a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, if you add those chances up over the course of the season, he's probably left six to nine points out in the field for the Phoenix where wow. those goals would have, that's the difference in the table. Um, and he's your marquee striker and he, he just needs to finish them. Also, it's not all about him. Um, Singh had a very quiet game behind him and he needed to do more. Um, I, I'm ve- I've been very impressed by Kakache on the, uh, on the, on the left mid. Um, but he was up against Ryan Grant, and he was um, very solid. Um, didn't let much much past him. So, very um, yeah, it is Ryan Grant, isn't it? I think the Correct. yeah, yeah. <laughs> mullet boy. Yeah, boy. yeah, like, that's the first thing I noticed about him. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought uh, the Phoenix actually. There's been a few games recently, and I think it was sort of illustrated that we, when we talked recently about, you know, actually the run of form has been pretty poor. Have you actually read it on paper recently? Um, they've lost a few, and, and, and but they've actually been playing really well. Um, so it would be interesting to see if they can hold off the, the Jets come to the finals because it's going to be an interesting run in. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, it it's, it does leave them now six points uh, ahead of the Jets, uh, but the Jets have obviously a game in hand against Adelaide uh, later today. Um 
And the only other point I wanted to raise about this one was this technically was a Wellington home game, but it was played out at Campbelltown, Campbelltown out of yeah. Sydney. And this decision was made a little while ago, but it was an odd decision. And I still haven't quite, and I might have, I might have missed this, but I still haven't quite got to the bottom of why uh, the decision was made. Um, I remember when the decision was home made, game here. but I, I, this must have gone over my head. I didn't realise that it was actually this weekend. But yeah. I, I don't I, know if I'm, it had anything I'm, to do with the Sydney uh, stadium situation at the moment. I don't know what it was, but I, I personally, like, I'm from, from Christ, the other way around, I'm from like Christchurch this. in New Zealand, and the last time they had a, a, a Phoenix game there, they, were, they had similar numbers to what Auckland was able to generate. Um, because they don't often go to the South mm, Island. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to choose between Campbelltown and Christchurch for a Phoenix home game, wouldn't you take it to Christchurch? Take yeah. it to Christchurch. Dunedin. You saw what a success was in Auckland. Um, it was just amazing. Dunedin's got a very, very good stadium now. Um, it's a fully roofed stadium. That's probably not as much of a case for Dunedin because that's packed when the students are there and the students don't come back until probably like, probably a couple of weeks from now. So maybe that wouldn't have been as effective, but Christchurch would have been a big crowd. For sure. So, strange. It's disappointing for whatever reason it was. Yeah, perplexing. Um, one one good thing, um, one good piece of news to come out of the Knicks uh, throughout the week, though, is obviously um, young Stevie Taylor. Uh, Longpins Taylor's uh, signed a contract extension, so that's very good for them. All they've got to do now is try and hold on to uh, Mark Rodin, who's been um, heavily linked with the Western United job um, for their inaugural season next season. So, But I think, you know, if they can manage to uh, keep this squad together and which they look like they're starting to attempt to do um, with key players like Taylor. Um, yeah, maybe they could have um, some, some more success. But yeah, uh, Jesse, I agree. First first things first, uh, you know, stay in the top six this year and, and um, finish finish the season strong. They're, they're still technically in the seat to do it. They just... As it seems to lose. They, 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 they just... Those chances I've been mentioning with Chris Nutt, I mean, he buries that chance and it's 1-1 or... 2-1 and, and that we're looking at a different spot on the table so they just need to be more clinical yeah so uh, speaking of teams that really should have done better and, and could have done better um, you had Melbourne City uh, and the, the Melbourne Derby last night and R- um, Rumour has it they're still at the stadium passing the ball. Yeah, backwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the team that somehow manages to, to continue to pass backwards even <laughs> even when they're in their own 18-yard box. But anyway, so um, uh, this was, I guess, a, bit, a little bit of a funny funny sort of derby, this one. Um, Melbourne Victory had a uh, Needlemeyer sent off very, very early on in the game. I think it was about the 15-minute mark from memory. What was he thinking? Yeah, fifteen minute mark for his second yellow, and look, frankly, he could have been sent off for a straight red for a clear uh, and obvious goal scoring opportunity being denied. Um, but yeah, he definitely deserved to get sent off. And and Colby's boy, uh, Jamie McLaren, Macca, uh, he scored Ooh. the pursuing uh, uh, penalty. Uh, for Melbourne Sydney, and at this point you thought, oh, geez, isn't this going to be a terrible spectacle from now on in? And yeah, true to form, Joyce's Melbourne City uh, pretty much did nothing for the remainder of the game. Um, but luckily, um, Melbourne Victory did. That must uh, be so frustrating for a City fan, though, right? Like you've got what? a numerical advantage, you're one a shot on target. Up. You, you can victory. go and embarrass like your your crosstown rivals and really make the, a statement. Go for the jugular, yeah. Really make a statement, and they didn't. Like there That's was such a negative attitude. There was one point when uh, they there was a, an opportunity to, to counter, and uh, Scott Jamison pretty much ran up to halfway unopposed, still unopposed when he reached halfway, and he just stopped. Yeah. 
Yep. And I was, I said to the bloke next to me, I said, what the hell is, why, why stop? And I get the point that, yeah, they're a very, they, they're always looking to not concede uh, sort of first. And they were 1-0 up, sure, got it, against 10 men, got it. But, like, you're also, not only uh, did they have an opportunity to put it second away and really shore up the game, but really, as far as I'm concerned, this was, um, this was a point, this was two points dropped for City and not quite unforgivable because, yeah, look, Victory are still even a good team, even with only 10 players. Um, but just so, so little endeavour, and that that comes from the manager. I was a neutral watching that game, and I was immensely frustrated. I just thought this is just it was a terrible and, spectacle. And, and, and one thing that really frustrates me about it, um, when I watch that kind of play, I mean, obviously Spain are renowned for, for for playing in a pass the ball into the net fashion. You need to have either a player or a, a, a sort of a point in your strategy where you can switch. Um, and you can sort of change up the, uh, the, the, the shape. So there was a point in that game where Bacchus, um, Bacchus actually ran up and started to, to drive forward. And as you say, he sort of did the same thing as Jameson. He sort of stopped and then sort of passed it off, and then someone looked like they wanted Bacchus to go. off. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, um, it comes I, down I, to instruction, doesn't it? And, and, and you watch that and you think, well, like, for example... Well, and, that's and, like and, a Mourinho and, team, right? Is, you can see is, the way yeah, they play exactly. when they're instructed to play that way. But but you need to have... And I don't actually mind a passing style if you have a penetrative pass in, in your locker. And I think that's where City, last night, they could have lured victory into a point where they're just passing to the flank, to flank, to flank, to flank, and then just, bam, like a, a through ball in the middle would have just cut victory open. And they just didn't have it. Um uh, what's uh, the name of the the, the centre back for City? Um, he's got the German. Schinkerveld? Yeah, Dutch yep. guy. Yep. Um, so he oh, he he at one stage did a similar thing. He charged up the field after he in- intercepted a pass, and even the commentators remarked on it. He just stopped and passed it off to the left back, and then trotted back to halfway. So um, it's it's unbelievable. And I mean, I guess this was summed up as a spectacle by the fact that um, between both teams there were four shots on target. Uh, sorry, correction, 14 shots uh, in total and only two on target. Now, that's, that's both goals. And they, were, they, weren't, they weren't constructed chances. They were like, just One was have, a penalty. Have, have, about, have, a, have a go outside the box. But both of them were those ones that rattled the crossbar. And they weren't, you, you wouldn't say that they were constructed I chances. I think chances <laughs> on target. As, as a youth end coach of mine used to say in training, that if you've hit the crossbar, it doesn't count. It's, it's, it wouldn't have been a goal. The most exciting um, part of this match was when um, Boz's uh, studio mic got left <laughs> on when they cut to the Melbourne dressing room. And he's saying, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> Which he subsequently came out on Twitter and apologised for. But uh, it was just one of those peak A-League moments for me that, uh, that uh, was a real silver lining in this game. Um, but the other thing that stood out to me was um, this one was played at uh, Marvel Stadium uh, and the crowd was looked to be about sort of 35,000 was the sort of it's number that I was hearing. Yeah. 32, 32 I so, think is what it was. Like, that's marginally more than Amy Park at capacity. Why not just play this game at Amy Park? Well, particularly considering the AFLX was the night, night before, right? Yeah. Sell, it, sell it out, you know, create some sort of scarcity around the tickets, let the spillovers go to the pub. Um, and and really really create some buzz around this, and instead you had this stale, shitty match at the atmosphere was actually pretty flat. I thought, yeah, considering like at Marvel Stadium, because the like I mean the city city fans like the 
they do have a, an element of active sport that's back, but they, and they're a very small segment of the crowd in comparison to uh, to the two victory ends, which even they I thought were quite subdued in comparison to the to the derby earlier on in the year. Um, and look, I, like for me, yeah, I can kind of see, I, I can understand your point, Colby, but I. I also understand that the the derbies they're they're money making things for both the club but also I think to a lesser degree that the FFA as well. Like I'm and all for I, having like if you have actually, a Melbourne derby early on like played in Marvel because they got like at that I think from memory they got like at least forty five thousand and it was sort of they've respectable. been sellouts before as well. Yeah, and but, played in finals there for sure. But like if you have like. You know, these guys play each other like three times a season in a derby. You've got to have two of them at Amy Park and make them really hard to get tickets and create a real buzz around it. Yeah, well, I actually think the last one at Amy, I don't think that one actually sold out. So it's disappointing. Yeah, and for me, like my note that I took was that is the luster even starting to come off some of the derbies? Like, and that three that's, times a year is a bit much, isn't it? It's a bit scary. Plus finals. Is there any um, alignment with the stadium with the the club? So. Is is going to Amy Park more of the city home, and yeah, so, and so, Marvel Stadium is more the victory. No, so city city's home ground is Amy, and Eddie had split half of their games between uh, Amy and Marvel Stadium. Mm. But having said that, though, I think their their blockbusters are all at Eddie had. And, 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 and this was sorry, te- this, sorry. This, this was technically a um, victory home game, was it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it it makes sense that I mean they've got twenty odd thousand members, so. Yeah, like I can, I can kind of understand your point, and I'm a little bit sympathetic to it, Colby. But I guess um, they're also a little bit optimistic that they're going to get forty thousand people to this game as well. And I think forty thousand at Eddie Had is probably you think only forty thousand at Eddie Had's better than a sold out Amy Park. No, no, I don't. But I, that's also another ten thousand tickets that. Uh, that money either goes to victory or either solely or it goes partially to the FFA as well, which is not necessarily a bad thing yeah. that the, the, the clubs are getting more money. This discussion sort of moves into a, a space where it's just like, what's smart business? It's like cutting off a little bit of your short-term sure, funds. Short-term profit, yeah, versus building profit. for the long-term. Yeah, yeah. So it looks very good if you've got very few empty seats. And I think maybe if... Maybe if the earlier strategy had have been, all right, we're going to play all the derbies at Amy and we're, and we're going to make them sellouts and uh, over the course of maybe three years, three years worth of sellouts, and then we move some of them to uh, or the, the victory home derbies to, to uh, Marvel or Etihad. And then, then you have a case where everyone is clamoring for tickets, but we're now at a point where we, we've had them at, at Etihad for a couple of years now and uh, Marvel for a couple of years and it's... It'd be hard. It would almost be a backward step to move them just to Amy, and I think that people would view it in that light. So it would almost be seen as sort of uh, losing face to, to then go to Amy because people would be like, "Oh, well, we're not we're not selling out at uh, Marvel Stadium anymore, so we're going to go to a smaller stadium now because oh, we can't pack out a bigger one." Um, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm sympathetic somewhat to your point, but I guess. I don't know. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? And I'm I'm a small ground, full crowd person. So yeah, I think most a, a, football fans are. Amy, look, is I think is I don't know what the new Parramatta Stadium is going to be like, but Amy is one. At the of moment, the, I think it's the best uh, stadium in the league. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Like we love going to see it. Even like, like I know Jubilee's been quite good. Um, I've never, you know, it's obviously never been there, but it's looked fantastic and it's got rave reviews from fans that have been there. Um, on, on sort of social media and stuff and. Um, 
the new the new stadium over in Perth looks looks good if it gets a big crowd. Um, yeah, and and the, the new one at Parramatta looks like it's going to be quite good as well. So we're trending in the right direction, and obviously Western Melbourne, uh, uh, Western United, I should say, are building their own stadium as well. So look, we are we I think we are trending in the right direction, but it's just for for fans that have been waiting for this sort of since close to the inception of the league, it's it's getting a bit frustrating waiting for you know something that seemed like such a simple idea to just pack small stadiums and have great football atmospheres. It's it's just a little bit frustrating when you you see this year after year. Yeah, no, and I mean, fair enough. And, and the footage that comes from these games with their, if they're packed and there's very few empty seats is then used on ad, advertisements. It is then used as part of the A-League's uh, advertising campaign. I, I, I go, go back to what Colby said before. I think they need to take a cut um, short-term and not, maybe not go for the 40,000, just accept they're going to have a 30,000-something sellout mm, mm. and just boost up the numbers, get the demand, generate the demand, and then you can go to Marvel Stadium later on. Speaking yeah. of disappointing, though, uh, you reckon uh, Glekovic would have been disappointed with uh, how he conceded that goal at his near post? We should have been fuming because that was He awful. was smashing that uh, that post in frustration yeah. after so, letting that one in. So he should have been. So he should have been. That was uh, the A-League's uh, Aguero with an Aguero-like finish. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty powerful finish. and um, Just no right. No right to score that. Yeah. Had no right, uh, but got it in. Uh, but, yeah, poor, poor old Huge. But yeah. Anyway, um, so look, uh, I guess uh, speaking of disappointments, though, unfortunately, gents, all, all good things must come to an end, and uh, that's unfortunately the end of the the pod for this week. Um, if uh, let us know what you think about uh, the the Melbourne Derby situation, about which which stadium they should be playing out of, should they generate some scarcity, or should they continue, or is it smarter to continue playing out of uh, the bigger stadium? But otherwise, plenty of football on again this week. Um, more A League to come this round, um, and then obviously more champion. Uh, sorry, Premier League uh, during the week. So uh, we'll discuss that all next week. Until then, thanks for hang- uh, tuning in. Bye. Mm-hmm.